Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Thank you once again for joining us today on the program. And uh, I've, just have, I've just been having a great time sharing with you and uh, just truly, truly enjoyed the uh, encouraging words and letters that you've shared with us and uh, writing to us and uh, Facebook messages. Uh, go uh, like our public profile. I, I have a personal page, but I have the limit of friends that Facebook will allow me to have on my personal page. So just go to my Lynn Hiles Ministries page and hit the like button and you can follow us there. Also, we post on that page a link to our YouTube uh, channel. And uh, every time we air a program like this, we'll put the YouTube uh, channel up and you can literally go from there, from Facebook right straight to uh, our YouTube channel because we have shared things over the last probably almost 80 weeks from the book of Revelation. We're unpacking this chapter by chapter, I think consistently, verse by verse, showing you the themes and ideas, showing you how they connect from every direction. And, and uh, if, if you've followed us for uh, any length of time, I, I'm trusting that you're at least sketching the whole continual over, overview of what we're saying. You may not get every detail, but the good thing is you can go back and listen to them anytime on YouTube. I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about that because I want to get right back in the Word today, talking about the woman in the book of Revelation uh, chapter 12. Let's go there and uh, let's take a look at it again and uh, unpack a few things uh, about it. So there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of 12 stars. And she being with child cried, travailing in birth to be delivered. And there appeared another wonder in heaven, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, seven crowns upon his head, and his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven, did cast him to the earth, and the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered for, to devour her child as soon as it was born. And she brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. Her child was caught up unto God to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she had the place prepared of God that they should feed her there a thousand two hundred three score days. I'm not going to read down through the rest of this, but we, we know that verse 9 says, The great dread dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil, and Satan which deceiveth the whole world was cast out into the earth, and the angels were cast out with him. Now I want to stop a little bit again and go back and reiterate some things and help you at least let me continue to unpack this in a... Uh, more detail. We already shared with you how that this woman is a great sign. She represents from Genesis the seed of the woman that would bruise the head of the serpent. We see all through the scriptures how that there has been an absolute constant battle for the seed. We shared with you how that the seed was under attack under Egypt under Pharaoh, who just said, destroy all the male children from, I believe it was two years old and under, and God saved a deliverer by the name of Moses. We see it as it comes through in Jesus, who uh, his mother is a virgin, and the great sign that Isaiah talked about, that a virgin, he said, here's the sign, a virgin will conceive and have a seed. His name will be called Emmanuel. We know that Jesus was the ultimate seed of the woman that bruised the head of the serpent and brought to us and gave us an ultimate victory. We see as we take this one step further that the woman is also a picture of the church. It is the woman uh, throughout history that is a great sign of the three things. A serpent, a woman, 
and a man-child. There's always an enemy trying to destroy the seed of the woman. I, I believe that's why there's such an attack throughout history on families and always such an attack on the seed. The good news is, is that there is a seed who has already won the victory. So that in the new covenant, you and I are not fighting for victory, we are fighting from victory. That's why when you get to the 12th chapter of the book of Revelation, we don't overcome him by lowering ourselves to his terms. We overcome him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. So our identification with what, 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 what the blood of the Lamb produced, when Jesus defeated the devil, defeated death, hell, and the grave, and hands to us the keys of the kingdom, he has literally handed us a victory that we are not trying to get, but a victory that we flow from. We are simply enforcing a victory that he's already won. That's good news to me. Now I want to show you several things. We showed you already last week how uh, that uh, this woman in Revelation uh, is exactly like her husband, because we see she's clothed with the sun and the moon is under her feet. And we read to you how that in Revelation 1, it describes Jesus as being the sunshine and his strength. We also showed you in Revelation chapter 10, where uh, a mighty angel with a rainbow on his head and clothed with the sun came down from heaven. So then we see this sun-clothed woman. In other words, she's clothed upon, she's put on the Lord Jesus Christ, if I could say it like that. She has put on her royal garment, just like Esther did of old when she went in. You know, I think that's a powerful story again of a woman who the seed of God is under persecution by Haman and by his lynchmen. But you've got a, a cosmetic queen, if you will, by the name of Vashti, who refused to come at the king's commandment. And the king said, listen, I'm going to take Vashti's portion and give it to another that's worthy, more worthy than she is. And you know the story of how Vashti, who was a cosmetic queen, refused to come at the king's command. But there's an Esther waiting in the wings, and the king, she finds favor in the eyes of the king. Can I tell you that again to me is a powerful picture of the removing of a cosmetic cosmos system of religion that paints its face and looks holy. It is a, uh, if you will, it is a religious system that can only put on a front. But uh, I, I can say it like this, it is a picture of God who divorces a natural Israel and marries a Gentile bride and, uh, and, and uh, marries a bride and, and that bride is given the kingdom. Uh, uh, it is one that is kept, it is to me a, a glorious picture because you see Esther comes in before the king in the time when Haman has plotted to destroy the people of God. But there's an Esther that comes in and says, listen, I'm going to put off my sackcloth and I'm going to put on my royal garments and I'm going in to see the king. And if I perish, it's not according to the law. Watch this. She said, I'm going into the king, which is not according to the law. Because the law said, if you went in uninvited, you could be literally put to death. But she said, I'm going in to see the king. And if I perish, then I perish. But she goes in before the king, which was not according to the law. That's a great powerful picture to me of Esther being a new covenant type of a queen because she goes in and he holds out the golden scepter. The scepter to me speaks of righteousness because he scepter, his scepter is a scepter of righteousness. And he holds out the scepter to Queen Esther and he says, ask me, Queen Esther, and I will give you to the half of the kingdom. 
And Esther becomes an intercessor who stops the plots of the enemy and brings deliverance to the people of God. That's a powerful picture to me of what I think is going on here in the book of Revelation is that there is a woman who is a true bride of Christ, who is clothed with the sun, moon under her feet, who is going in before the king and he has held out the golden scepter and the enemy's plans are destroyed and they are thwarted. We will show you in coming segments how this is really specific to uh, the early church who was in the first early pains of birth pains, giving birth to a kingdom uh, and, and giving birth to a new covenant, if you will, uh, that was in a specific time slot. And we'll show you how that the 42 months, the times, times, and the half of times correspond exactly and perfectly with the timetables of what Daniel prophesied about, of times, times, and a half of times, and that there would be a season that the saints would be worn out for a times, times, and a half a time, but after that the kingdom and the dominion would be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. I want to show you exactly that that was the 42 months when the Romans were uh, in cohorts with this dragon, this, this serpent, this devil, gives his power to this beast in the 13th chapter of Revelation. And you, we will show you how that this beast of Revelation 13 is the beast of Rome and how for 42 months exactly 1260 days times times and a half time he persecutes this woman she listens to the words of Jesus who told them in Matthew 24 when you see Jerusalem encompassed with armies let him which flee in let him that is in Judea flee into the mountains I tell you that they fled they went into the wilderness some fled to Pella others fled to other places but God preserved them there and kept them on eagle's wings because the time came for the saints to possess the kingdom. It's an everlasting kingdom and all nations and all kingdoms will serve and obey him and it has been growing ever since. Now let me just go back and show you a few things that I want to uh, uh, bring out especially in this particular segment. Uh, once again we, we see Several things of women throughout the scripture we see. Uh, let, let me just read this from it. We see the same thing repeated in history with Cain and Abel. Yet God preserves the seed of the woman in Seth. We see it repeated in Egypt as Pharaoh tries to kill all the male children, but God preserved to Moses. We see it again at the birth of Jesus as Herod would decree that all the male children from ages 2 and under must die. Yet God preserved his son in Egypt. And he would be the one that would ultimately bruise the serpent's head on Calvary's cross, disarming principalities and powers, and then handing this authority to his believers to, to enforce a victory that has already been won. She is also Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, Hannah, all the women who gave birth to deliverers or forerunners of the seed. They were all pictures prophetically of the seed that should come. She is the Virgin Mary, but, but not least, she is the bride of Christ who ultimately brings forth a corporate seed, a corporate son of whom Jesus is the head of this body. Let me read this to you. Uh, this is John, St. John, the 16th chapter, verse 19 through 23. It said, Now Jesus knew that they were desirous to ask him, and said unto him, Do you inquire among yourselves of that I said a little while, and you shall not see me, and again a little while, and you will see me? 
Verily, verily, I say unto you that you shall weep and lament, but the world shall rejoice and you shall be sorrowful, but your sorrow shall be turned into joy. Now, the context here is Jesus is telling them, I'm about to ascend to the Father. And he's telling them that there's going to be a season uh, when you're not going to see me. And yet, again, a little while and you see me or the world will see me no more, but you will see me. And then he says, verily I say to you, they shall weep and lament, but the world shall rejoice and you shall be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. Now watch this. This is the verse I'm after, verse 21. This is John 16, 21. A woman, when she is in travail, hath sorrow because her hour has come. But as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembereth no more the anguish for joy that a man is born into the world. And now ye therefore have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart shall rejoice, and your joy no man taketh from you. And in that day you shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whatsoever you shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. The travail that is upon this woman is to give birth to a son that will rule the nations with a rod of iron. And what Jesus is saying to them, as he hands to them, I believe this authority, is that you're going to see me no more, but whatever, but, but the reason I'm gone, you know, I, I think it, let, let me just, let me turn over there real quick. John, John 14, I think this is, uh, I probably, there's so much that just rolls in my spirit as I get going with this, but John, John 14 is a, I believe, a very much misunderstood piece of scripture because it is on the heels of Jesus having given sup to the disciples. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. He gives it to Judas. He gives it to Peter. And Peter says, Lord, you know, I am going to be with you to the end, man. I got your back, Lord, and I'll die with you. And Jesus turns around. He said, look, Pete, listen, before the, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me. But we don't realize that from John 13, that's how John 13 is. Before the rooster crows, Peter, you're going to deny me. But the next words are John 14, verse 1. He said, but let not your heart be troubled. In other words, he's, this is the same conversation. You're going to betray me, Peter. I know you mean well, and you're probably going to fight with me right up to the last. You'll probably even cut the ear of Malchus off, and I'll heal the dude. And I can sidetrack with a powerful message of how we have well-meaning apostles who have taken the sword of the Word of God and cut off the ears of people where they can't hear the Spirit. But Jesus in this hour is grabbing the ear and knocking the dust off of us and decon, decon, disconnecting it from the realm of the dust of Adam's fallenness and putting it back on our ear and saying, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit has to say to the church. I believe God is restoring hearing to the church that well-meaning apostles have cut off and decapitated Jesus, healed that servant. Nevertheless, in, mo in the moment Peter denies the Lord and Jesus is telling Peter, you're going to deny me before the rooster crows. And then this is Jesus' next words. Immediately after he tells him, before the rooster crows, Peter, you're going to deny me. Here's his next words, John 14, 1. The chapters are separated by men, not by God, so the consistency is the same. So Jesus' very next words to Peter when he says, you're going to fail me, Peter, but let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house 
are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. The key words in this chapter is that where I am, where I am, there you may be also. So if you are writing notes down, you need to circle this where I am, because I want to show you in the context of the scripture where he is. He said, I'm going to take you where I am. You can be also. And whither I go, you know, and the way, you know, Thomas said unto him, Lord, we know not where you're going. And how can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way. I am the truth and the life. No man cometh unto the father, but by me, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to bring you where I am. Where am I? I am uh, going to bring you unto the father. If you had known me, you should have known my father also. From henceforth, you know him and have seen him. Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the father and it sufficeth us. Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long with you, and yet thou hast not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me has seen the Father, and how sayest thou then, Show us the Father? Believest thou not that, watch this, I am in the Father, and the Father in me? Now remember the context. Jesus said, I'm going to go to the Father, that where I am, you can be also. Where is he? I am, here's this, I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. He said, I'm, that where I am, you can be also. Where is he? I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. So where's he taking you? He's taking you in the Father, and the Father being in you. That's what he's saying here. Even when he says this, he said, Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very works sake. Verily I say unto you, He that believeth on me the works that I do, shall he do also greater works than these shall you do, because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Now remember the travail here in John chapter 16 is a travail that uh, he's about to, uh, you know, there, there's a sorrow that's on them of travail, but it's about to give way to something. And he says to them in John 16, 21, a woman, when she is travail, has sorrow because the hour has come. But as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembers no more the anguish for the joy that a man is born of the world. Now, you, you, and ye now therefore have sorrow, but I will see you again. Your heart shall rejoice, and your joy shall no man take from you. And in that day you shall ask nothing of me. Verily I say unto you, whatever you ask in my Father's name, he will give it to you. So what he's saying is what I'm about to give birth to is, if I could just make it as clear as I know, I'm giving birth to a company of sons. I'm bringing you where I am. Where am I? Jesus said that where I am, you could be also. Where am I? I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. I am bringing you into a realm of sonship that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will do for you. That to me is a powerful picture of what's happening here in Revelation chapter 20 or chapter 12, where this woman is in travail to bring forth this son, this corporate man child. Hallelujah. That has Emmanuel, God with us, executing the authority because he said, it is expedient for you to go away. If I don't go, the comforter will not come. But if I go, greater works than these will you do because I go to the Father. In other words, he came not just so he could do something, then go to glory somewhere and then leave you for 2,000 years in a mess. But he came so that he and the Father could take up their abode within us, that, that the Father and the Son in us could do the work in, that Jesus began. I, Acts chapter, I believe it is chapter 1 says, the former treatise, Old Theophilus, of the things which Jesus began both to do and to teach. 
And so Jesus goes on to say, I am going to take you where I am. You can be also. Where is he? I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. And I'm going to bring you into a place that you're going to be in a relationship as a son with this same Father that whatever you ask in my name, I'm going to do for you. That's the travail that's going on here in Revelation chapter 12, is there was a woman that was in great pain to bring forth a people. There is a travail for manifestation of sons of God. Man, there's too much to preach in just such short segments here. Hallelujah. But he goes on to say, and I will pray the Father. Let me, let me, let me get this for you. If you love me, keep my commandments. That's verse 15, John 14. Verse 16 of John 4, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. It's the Hebrew word for, or Greek word for orphans. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more, but you see me. Because I live, you shall live also. That day you shall know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. That's, he said, I, that where I am, I'm going to prepare a place for you. That place is not a building on a planet three miles south of Mars called heaven. That place where he was going to take you was in the Father and the Father being in you and you being in him. That where I am, you can be also. He goes on to say that at that day, you shall know that I am in my Father and ye in me and I in you. Just keep remember, connect the words I am. That where I am, I am in the Father and the Father is in me. But I and my Father, we are going to come and take up our abode within you. And he that keep my commandments, he that is that loves me, and he that loves me shall be loved to my Father, and I will love him, and will manifest myself to him. And Judas saith unto him, Not Iscariot, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us, not out of the world? Jesus answered said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him. And we will come, watch this, and make our abode with him. Now this word abode here, Verse 23 is the only other place I believe in the scripture. This word abroad is translated. The only other place that this is used, I believe, I believe I'm right in this in the scripture, or it is at least in this context. The word abode here is the same word that's translated mansion in the first part of this chapter, where it says, I and my father will come and take up our abode within you. Could literally be translated, I and my father will come and mansion ourselves in you. And what we've normally done with John 14 is we've preached that the mansion is the house that Jesus is building for us. And when he gets my mansion done, he's going to come get me. Now, I'm not trying to take anything from heaven from you, but it's going to be a whole lot better than some building somewhere. What I'm trying to get you to see is that uh, if God could create the heavens and the earth in seven days, he sure doesn't need 2,000 years to build you a house. What I'm trying to tell you is that in my father's house, the house he's talking about here is not your house, it's his house. And what he's saying is that in my father's house, if you could think of it like this, since in the new covenant, we are the temple of the living God. Since in the new covenant, we are the tabernacle of God. Since in the new covenant, look, look, God has moved into the neighborhood, Revelation 21 in the message Bible says, since we are the house of God, we are the mansion, consider the possibility that John 14 is, is not talking about where you're going to live when you die and go to heaven, but it's talking about what's going to happen because he went to the father. I am my father. We're going to come and make our abode within you. 
I'm telling you, we're, we're missing some powerful stuff while we're still waiting on Jesus to come one of these days. There's somebody living inside of me right now. And once again, I, I know that probably this is mind-shocking to some folks because I'm not trying to take anything from heaven for you. But what we do a lot of times is we imagine what we think heaven is going to be like based on earthly things. And while I do believe there is a real, very real heaven, I also believe you don't got to wait till you go there to enjoy a relationship with God the Father and the Son. Because what he's talking about here is not just you going to heaven, but heaven coming to you. See, I believe that the mandate on the church is not just how to get from here to there after you've lived in 70 years of misery, but how to invade this planet with the original mandate that God gave the first Adam, and that is to fill the earth and replenish it with what's in this garden. In other words, you are God's vice regent in the earth, and you are here uh, uh, to administer kingdom business that the purpose of Jesus going away was not just to make you a home somewhere and let the devil have this planet, but to raise up a people who would ultimately defeat the devil and all of his works in every realm uh, that's, uh, uh, you know, in other words, we should still be enforcing the kingdom and demonstrating the kingdom by doing the greater works that Jesus said we could do. And see, again, people say, well, you believe you're doing No, I believe Jesus is doing it in us, but that's why he came to take up his abode within us. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us. That was the travail that was on these men and women of God as they were about to give birth to a brand new thing that was about to come on the earth. And we're going to talk about some of that in the next segment when we get to it. But I just wanted you to see that the whole purpose of him doing some of the things he's done is to bring us out of a realm of servants into being sons. A man-child was being birthed. This man-child was being birthed to rule the nations with a rod of iron. He promised that to the overcomer when he said to him that overcometh, to one of the churches, I will give him power over the nations. The authority belongs to the church. You say, well, Brother Howes, you know, there's some very real problems going on in this planet. To which I reply, I agree. I do not have my head in the sand as if nothing is going on. But what I'm trying to do and my passion is, is to wake up the people of God. And we begin to realize that we are here as the salt and the light in the earth to turn the tide and the course of human history. We're not to operate in this earth like orphans. We're to operate like sons of the king that we are. The devil is defeated. Somebody needs to enforce that authority. We've run out of time again. Thank you for joining us. I call that number on the screen. And uh, there'll be somebody standing by to take your prayer request and to uh, receive your comments, take orders, whatever. Uh, consider becoming a partner with this ministry. If you appreciate what you're hearing, don't sit on the sideline and think someone else is going to do it. Let me tell you, we're cutting edge stuff and we're doing some things that haven't been done before. And it takes your help, those of you who are being blessed by the gospel. So do it today. God bless you. Thanks for joining us. For anyone struggling to understand John's writings in Revelation, this book provides true, biblically-based answers. Through detailed insights into the letters John wrote to the seven churches of his day, you will learn how to avoid the mistakes of the early church to overcome today's trials and tribulations. This book will provoke you to thought and dialogue, bringing greater clarity and revelation of Jesus Christ.